Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's good, everybody? It's our favorite time of the year here at the Black Effect. We're headed down to Atlanta for the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival, and we're not going alone. Nissan is back as our partner, and they're continuing their Pitch Your Podcast Lounge at the festival, where you'll have the opportunity to pitch your podcast idea live and share it with the Black Effect team. So get those podcast ideas ready. And remember, you can count on Nissan to dial up the thrill in your adventures, no matter where life takes you. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. That's how we own it. What's up, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of Street Politicians, the place, the place where, where the streets, streets and politics, politics meet. What's going on? Happy New Year, my son. Happy New Year. 2022 is upon us. I'm feeling great. I've already spoke this best number one podcast into existence. We're going to have so much money. We're going to have so much wealth. We're going to have so much success, so much justice. We're going to get justice. We're going to get everything we're looking for in 2022. You know, we ended last year, 2021, with significant um, uh, criminal justice wins right that that's not wins for our community you know you got it because the trolls can't wait what wins wins means they stop killing us that's what we're fighting for we ultimately want um not to be killed but when we think about the steps that it will take to get us to a place where people know if i shoot harm, violate the civil rights, the human rights of a black, brown, or any other person, I'm going to have to face the system. And it's possible that a jury, and particularly juries with white women, we've got we've to talk about it because the last few juries have been full of white women that not all white women, but many white women have been dominating these juries have been finding police officers and uh, other vigilantes um, responsible criminals responsible for the, the murder and the trauma and the violations that they've caused on young black men and black men in, in, in general. And I think that, um, you know, that's a good sign for how we enter 2022, that we continue 
to fight in the courts, but even outside of the courts, there's a cultural fight that's ahead of us. And I think we have a responsibility to stay on the ground in every one of the cases that we have won, so to speak, there were movements that existed on the ground. There were people involved, there were protests, there was awareness, there was communities speaking out, parents that worked very closely with some of our stellar civil rights attorneys so that they could go and, and help to inform um, the district attorneys, right? Because you know it's always important for us to make that separation. The district attorneys have been fighting the cases, but they do at times listen to the feedback of the family civil uh, attorneys um, who, are, who are giving them strategies. These things are happening. And I think that to your point, we're going to work this year to ensure that we continue to get justice in those places while it's a small form of justice, but that we also set the precedent, set the tone across this country that if you kill, you harm, you brutalize, um, you violate our rights, that you will be found guilty of a crime and have to face actual jail time for for you know for your actions. That's right. You know that's that's the, always the goal. Like you said, it's it's not justice in totality. You know, but there is periods and there are pieces of justice that we need to add to the puzzle. You yeah. Know, and a lot of people want to discredit the work that's being done because they don't understand the full process or because they just want to have something to say. But you know, being on the front lines in this movement and actually seeing what it takes to get even those small pieces of justice, man, and just understanding what it's going to take for us to actually get the level of justice and equity that we deserve and you know are entitled to in this country. We understand the work. The work that we're going to need to do, we're not even going to see it in our lifetime. But we're just going to contribute to it and continue to fight, man. So. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been a part of it, those small grassroots organizations, those who made phone calls, those who donated to organizations, those who sat in front of these courthouses, those who family members who, despite all the trauma and pain they went through, they got up every day and they fought on behalf of their family members and they still fight and they still cry and they still deal with the trauma even after the cases are gone, after the cameras have disappeared, after everyone is gone off, after the verdict has been delivered, even though there's been guilty verdicts, there have been people who've lost loved ones. So we just wanna say thank you for all of the pain that you've endured so that justice can be served in even the smallest, smallest, minute way. And you just yeah. let you know that we will continue to do our, our part. And I'm not sure that George Floyd's family, Dante Wright, uh, 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 Ahmaud Arbery, and even Julius Jones, which was different because Julius Jones needs to be at home with his family, but he was removed from death row and his life was spared with hours left before his um, for before they would have executed him. And that was because of a grassroots movement. And to your point, 
Um, Terrence Crutcher, who was also killed um, by the police, his sister, Tiffany Crutcher, was out there while holding her own cane. She was out there as one of the leaders fighting for Julius Jones' life. And there are so many people who have gone from advocate, who have gone from um, survivors, if you will. You know, some of us say victims, but they are they're really truly survivors and have turned that into becoming warriors within this movement. And I'm not sure that they would say it's minute. I think we have conditioned ourselves because we we understand the larger context of the movement, right? And so since we know that justice is so much bigger, we condition ourselves to um, to minimize it so that we don't have to fight with folks who want to say, oh, y'all didn't do anything because he should have got 50 years and, you know, you, know, you didn't do anything because all of them should be guilty. But it's not minute because the work that went into standing with Wanda Cooper and Lee Merritt and also the work that Sean King did, um, you know, for Ahmaud Arbery and the protests that we went out for and the people, like you said, uh, Queen Yanastaha in Atlanta, Gerald Griggs, the local NAACP there um, in, in, uh, in that part of Georgia, they worked hard. We supported them, um, but we were actually living in, in Kentucky fighting for Breonna Taylor. And we still took our time to support and stand with Wanda Cooper and the family of Ahmaud Arbery. So you had that movement happening that kept attention on them every single day. Then you turn around and you look at, um, you know, what was done even with Dante Wright. Yeah, Totally, you know, and by the way, Dante Wright's situation moved fast from the day that he was killed until there was a conviction. It was very clear in the, the, the state of Minnesota that people were not going to sit back and allow them to slip back with justice because there was already a conviction on George Floyd. And I think um, what some folks may not understand, they may not be aware of how much work went into electing Keith um, Ellison, who is the, the, the attorney general there in Minnesota. I don't think people understand how much work and what the battle was to get him elected so that he can fight for real and true justice in that state. There is so much more work to be done, but it's not my new. You think about Breonna Taylor, yeah, the, the trying to get actual convictions and to get people arrested and charged, it's an uphill battle. We hope that the feds will come in and file federal charges against the officers, particularly the four officers, but even more folks than that were involved in murdering Breonna Taylor. But yet those officers have been removed from the force. And that for us, while it is not the end all be all, it is significant that they have been and disgraced and sent home from their jobs. Now we have to fight to make sure that we get actual legislation put in place that monitors them so that they cannot just go get another job in a different city um, and, and, and commit the same crimes. So to your point, there is a lot of work to be done. There's an incredible amount of work to be done, but I refuse not to appreciate all the people who have worked to do what has happened 
within the year of 2021 that we hope to keep into 2022? You're right. You know, I, I apologize. Don't, you no, know, you like don't have to apologize. It's, no, it's, but I get it. It's not. I, because it's not just our work, right? It's other people who are out there working. And, and, and as I applaud them, you know, I don't want to minimize, you know, the, the losses of people who actually were invested in this work because a lot of people lost sleep, they gained trauma, they lost money, they lost family, they lost so many different things in this fight for justice. So it's, it's, it's beneath me to even try to minimize what people lost in this. But I do want us to understand that there's so much to go. We yeah. still have a lot to fight for, but those victories that we did, get, they weren't, they're not minute. They're definitely major victories, you know, so continue to fight with that in knowing that you have gained victories and we still got a lot to go. And so that brings me to my thought of the day. Now, you know, I've been really on vacation. I literally have done absolutely nothing. And for you and other people who called me, I've been sitting in a dark room, relaxing for the entire holiday with the exception of moving around a little bit here and there. Number one, I ain't trying to get the COVID. Number two, I just needed a break and I really needed to get focused. So, you know, TV was a thing. Like I was watching shows. First of all, we start the holiday with Insecure going off the air. So they their last show, I haven't even watched it because I'm like heartbroken. And I know a little bit about what happened because social media is such a spoiler. Like they just tell you everything. But, you know, that's gone. Then the other day I was watching TV. I was really excited about Blackish and I learned that it was their last episode as well. I'm just trying to figure out what in the heck is happening. Is it the ratings? Are we not watching the shows? You know, what is what is the issue? Is it advertising? What are we going to do to keep content on TV that helps to show us in, in not just a positive light, but in our true form. I have no issue with 50 Cent and his, uh, you know, his portfolio because we all like a little crime and uh, hustlers TV. Entertainment. Every, every, if, if you say entertainment, whatever, right? We all, we all like that. By the way, it's every other culture has the same. So we're not going to sit here and act like you, that white folks are not killing each other and shooting up and everything on TV. The Asian community, they are, everybody has entertainment, to your point, that's um, criminal, uh, through a criminal lens. Let me say it's like that. But the fundamentals of their everyday for their children is not just focusing on power and BMF and things like that. They also have Grey's Anatomy. They have, I don't know, you name the shows, right? They, I don't even know them, but I know that they have a bunch of shows that shows sort of a myriad, if you will, of images to their young people. You turn on the TV for us and we're losing everything. And Blackish was such an important show since we had the Cosby show, then you have Blackish. I don't know, maybe there was something in between, but to lose Blackish, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to literally call both Tracy Ellis and Anthony Anderson and ask, 
Why is it that they were ready to move on with their careers? Like, I just don't get it. I'm really trying to understand how we keep content that is for your children and my niece and other kids that are growing up. I mean, we got to continue to create it, man. We have Lena Waif. We have so many different Black producers and, you know, that understand the need. You know, maybe, maybe I think what happens, it becomes hard to create content, right? After a certain amount of seasons, or maybe the ratings. I don't know. I, I, I can't really imagine that Blackish not having good ratings. But TV in itself, the ratings for TV in itself has been going low. But I do believe that Blackish was some, definitely something that was needed in our community. It was something that you look to, you know, it showed us in a very positive light. It showed us in so many different real life situations that happen in black homes right in real life right whether it's just black homes that come from wealth or just poor it was just those same understandings of just black culture that they talked about was something that really happened in most homes that people can identify with right and it didn't give you something to reach for to have a mother and father that was that successful right to be a mother and father that was that successful so it, it was so it represented so many different things for our culture and I just, I, I hope that we have the next production right in the host. Right, like know? in the pipeline. And now I think we have Grownish, and which um, Yara Shahidi is, I think she's one of the executive producers and, and she's also on the show. We have to support these folks. Like we have to, I know we think people are watching, they must have good ratings, but actually they don't. Um, they don't have the type of ratings that's necessary to generate consistent advertising dollars. And that's the problem. You have to actually have millions of people watching your show in order to make sure that you can get those ad dollars or you get pushed to some cable networks. And then when you're on those networks, not everyone can see it because not everyone has cable. So it's like a trick tricky thing of trying to figure out how do we keep content out there that's forward facing for our young people to be able to your point it's not that what not even just young right even young adults right let's just let's we got kids and we need shows like blackish grownish and other things for them but i'm just thinking of when you talk about insecure this is for young adults you have a situation where Issa, when the show originally comes on, she has no job. She hustling, trying to figure it out. It gives you a, de a depiction of what it's like when people are like, you know, sleeping with this person and you fall in love and then you get your heart broke, how you get out of it, what your girlfriends can do to support you, how your girlfriends can tear you down, the different types of personalities, people who are, uh, um, you know, they are, uh, uh, what do you call it, plus size. Other people like it is so many different things that when you're sitting there watching these shows, I remember when I used to watch a different world, the Cosby show and other things I saw like, OK, I could do that and take a little bit of this. I liked a little bit of Whitley. I liked a little bit of, uh, you know, this person, that per like what in the hell we we. Like you said, there has to be a consistent pipeline because while we love Tyler Perry, while we love uh, 50 Cent and, and all of these shows, that's not exactly what we're talking about. Those things are entertainment, but though just a regular family and or people who are existing every day working through life and they're not so much stereotypical, we need that.
we need that. So that's my thought of the day. Bring it back. It's definitely a good thought, man. We we need y'all. Producers, <laughs> black producers, get out there and make us these shows that show us and highlight and give us that energy, to give us that will to, 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 you know, to aspire to be more. We're looking forward to that, man. Make sure y'all do it. So usually at this time, we would have our resident brand expert, Latoya Bond, with our small business of the week. But we're not going to do that this week. But next week, we're going to look back at all of the small business that we've showcased throughout the last year. And we're going to add a couple more. We definitely need you to tune in and make sure that you give us your small business. Make sure that you are a small business that have a real business. Make sure you're a real business because we want to showcase and we want to be able to give you an opportunity to promote your services or your product on our platform. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. So the term know your status has generally been used to talk about your uh, status for your health, to talk about whether or not you know if you're HIV positive or carrying some other type of disease. And of course, now that we're in the time of COVID, um, knowing your status has a lot to do with being tested to see whether you're positive or not. But knowing your status means a lot of things, and it should for us, particularly Black folks in this world, and specifically in America, it should mean knowing what's happening with our credit. 
um, checking our records and knowing what's happening with our name, our social security numbers. And oftentimes we don't like to see things that are not right in front of our faces. We don't wanna deal with it. We don't want the stress and we certainly don't wanna to have to do the work of repairing the credit that we may have ruined from when we were younger. Um, but you know, fraud is a thing and we're actually doing a show. Here we are the first week coming back from the holidays where so many people have spent money. Um, maybe you haven't checked your bank account. Maybe you haven't checked your credit card statements, um, but fraud was a real thing going into the holidays and it still is. And so we're talking with some folks today who are real professional experts on how to address your credit and also how to be in, to ensure that you are not a victim of fraud. Our first guest is Shawana King. Uh, she is a credit repair expert, the author of a book called Swipe, a motivational speaker, and she was just featured on the VH1 series, My True Crime Story. Um, she's also a friend to street politicians, and we're happy to have you with us today, Shawana. You got to put us on and tell us what we don't know. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, my son. Thank you, everyone. Um, I'm excited. This episode is, it means a lot to me because, um, you know, my background, where I came from, um, financial freedom, like financial literacy, we did not know about. You know, mm -hmm. growing up, I did not know anything about financial literacy at all. You know, I only knew what was around me. You know, so growing up, uh, you know, me going to prison, me being incarcerated was for identity theft, for credit card fraud. You know, and that's where it stopped. Like, oh, that's all I knew was going into the store using somebody else's credit card, but I did not know how it affected that person. Mm. And the people cards I was using, I was just using it. They weren't, they didn't even notice. They didn't realize that uh -huh. I was using their card. You know what I mean? So it's like, now that I know better, I'm like, wow, it's a lot of people out here who really don't check their credit who don't even utilize their credit, who don't really know anything about credit. And now that I do credit card, um, credit, credit repair, it's like, I speak to a lot of people and I try to, you know, educate them on how important credit is, you know, what you can do with your credit. But if you don't know growing up, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how you doing, Shawana? Nice to see how you. How you doing? Today. So, you know, just, being formerly incarcerated, you know, as well and understanding what was, how was you introduced to credit, like to um, credit cards? Like what was the process? You know, a lot of people don't know it. So we got to give them a little education so they can understand like what to look out for, you know, how you pay attention to see if these things are happening to you. So, okay. So how I was introduced and I'm gonna bring it from before into now. So do you know right now, like when you get those alerts that say your password has been compromised on the dark web or um, change your password immediately because it has been um, de de detected in, in certain websites. That's a real thing. Like it's real because uh, before, you know, prior to my incarceration, I was basically paying a hacker to hack into the bank systems or hack into uh let's just say American Express, and they will basically get your account uh, password, email password, and they will I will pay for that information. Mm. 
Mm. And now, like I even get it on my email. It's like change your password because that means that your email and your password is out there. So now it's compromised. So now the hackers can go in and actually take that information and sell it on the dark web. Mm. And that's where I came in prior. I was going in on a dark web and purchasing that information. And then now I'm able to go into the store and use that person's identity. Now, but were you making, because I, I know a guy who went to jail for actually making the credit card with the numbers on it. And, mm-hmm. the strip, and, and at some point, it got to the point that they were actually able to make the credit card work. It started out where they used the credit card and it wasn't live. It just had the numbers on it and looked real. But mm-hmm. then they got it to the point where the card was actually working with the swipe in the store. Is, is was yeah. that work degree? Yeah, so basically, yeah, the same exact thing. So basically I will contact a hacker. A hacker will sell me information. It's called a track. The track has your 16 digit card number, your expiration date, your name, all of your information. It's like, it's like, a, it's like encoded into like these codes. So what I would do is there's a machine that you have you connect it to your computer and you basically transfer that information onto the credit card. You have to, any, any card that has a strip on it could be transferred. It could be a hotel key. As long as it have like a black magnetic strip on the back of it, it could be transferred. That information could be transferred onto the card and you could basically use it anywhere. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Tamika's very, I used to always ask her that she'll go to a hotel and she'll make sure that everybody throws the keys away she will not leave a hotel key anywhere because she says people can get your information. And I never was and aware then, of that. Yeah, you know, and what they do too, um, what they'll do is, let's just say if you go make a purchase um, and they will take your card, swipe it and, you know, the, the machine at the store and then also swipe it in a little device. It's like as small as a, like a... a, um, a the, the like little a, square thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's that mm-hmm. small. Like a, um, they'll swipe it on that, and then now they have all your information. So that just eliminates them um, being able to. They don't have to contact a hacker. They have your information right there. They have you know, it and they're doing that to everyone who come and purchase. Mm. So, so tell us. So okay, so you got into that first. It couldn't have just started there though. Like that's high right. level. So you had to start somewhere a little bit before that stage was it that you just found out it was easy did somebody tell you to get involved so it's crazy but i i I, I never said this anywhere else so when i was younger (laughs) i was younger you know my aunt she's um she's from maryland she had a bunch of salons she was like that aunt that was like fly you know and i'm like damn she got a bunch of salons she got all this money and I knew that she went to prison for credit card fraud, right? She wrote a book called Charge It to the Game, right? Mm-hmm. I've read the book. I never said this anywhere else. She don't even know this. <laughs> I've read the book and I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like she was given detail, but not too much detail. So I went on um, the dark web and I started researching. Wow. I found out all the information I needed. Then I found the person who basically I could buy the tracks from. Wow. Wow. How, so much, I the tracks, the tra- huh? how much the tracks cost? The tracks are about, at that time, they were $50. Mm. So oh, now you're man. talking about something that costs $50 that I can get about $20,000 from. 
Yeah, that's that that that's a no brainer right there. Mm-hmm. You know, so so, so, so I'm purchasing these, huh? No, no, go ahead. What you said? I was saying so I'm purchasing these tracks, and all I have to do is basically get a bunch of blank credit cards. At that time, I was going into like CVS, Walgreens, and taking the gift cards. They're free. You can just go in and take them. You know, they have a black uh, magnetic strip on it. So I was using the tracks, putting it on the black uh, on the card, and just going into the store and using so, it. So how did you get caught? Like, what, what was the thing? That so got I got caught. Now, the reason why I got caught was because the person who I was purchasing the tracks from, he's he's in China. He's in China. I never. I don't know who he is. I never met him. We only spoke online. So um, he was shipping cards to Africa, to me in Brooklyn, to all over. And uh, he started to get hot and they started watching him. So what he did was he told me, he's like, listen, I can ship you some cards. Uh, you don't have to, you know, there'll be real cards, you know, with your name. You don't have to use the cards that's from CVS. So, you know, this card will be actually with your name on it. So it was better for me because sometimes I would go into the store and they'll be like, oh, well, this is a gift card. You can't use over $500 if it's only $500 on a gift card. If it says $500 on the card, how are you swiping it for $5,000? Right. Know? So I needed that connect at that time. So for about a year, he was just shipping me cards, shipping me cards. Everything was cool. He started to get hot because someone in Nigeria got in trouble. So customs basically stopped the package that was mm. coming to me. And when they stopped the package, they opened it and they seen what was in it. They sealed it back and sent it to me. So when they sent it to me, I didn't know it got stopped. And they just started following me from there. They, they was following me for six months. Wow. While you was using the card. So they, they had a full case, of course, when they finally. And I think that's the whole point is like, it feels good, right? Like while it's happening, yes. you're looking while good and doing your thing. But at some point, I don't know anyone. I really literally don't know anyone that has been able to accomplish like longevity and then never get caught doing these things. I just, I don't know anyone. Everybody I no. know at some point right. caught up with them. No, it's true. And then at that time I was so young, like I went to federal prison when I was 19 years old. Wow. You know, And I was doing that from 17. I went to prison at 19, came home, didn't know anything else, did the same thing over, thought I got smarter, bought all the machines, got caught another two years later and had to do two and a half years. You know what I mean? So no. I didn't really know another way. That's all I knew at that time. That's the only, that's how I knew how to make money. You wow. know, and it's, it's unfortunate that I had to go through that, but I don't regret anything that I've gone through, you know, cause it made me who I am today. And, um, you know, it's, it was, it was crazy, you know, cause you get so addicted to like the material stuff because you're walking into the store and you're getting these things for free, basically, you know, like I'm spending a hundred dollars per car and I'm getting 10, 15, $20,000 per car, you know? So it becomes like a addic addiction, right. you know, right. to like, it, it's crazy. So you did, you. So how much time did you do in prison? You said you went to jail the first time, came home and did it again, and then had Collectively, to so I did school? five years. Altogether, you did five All years. Mm -hmm. So you went home, you went there for three, came home, 
did something and then went for two more years. Yeah. And then, so what made you say, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something different. Like what, what, what was the, when you came home, did you immediately say, yo, I'm not going back to jail or when you was in jail, did you say, look, I gotta do something different. Like what, what made your mind flip? The first time I didn't think like that. The first time I said, you know what? I got caught because <laughs> not something that I did. I got mm-hmm. caught because he was doing something and I got, you know, wrapped up in it. So that's how my mom was, honestly, the first time. 19 years old, spent two years in there, came home. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it smarter. I bought all the machines. I didn't need a middleman. I didn't need him. I didn't need anyone. I was able to do everything myself. So um, the, the last time I went to prison, I was like, and I went to prison for the stupidest thing ever. I was like, you know what? This is not for me. I have so what to did you do? Tell out. us, give us the stupidest thing, because people need to hear this. So, <laughs> so we can kind of figure out why. Don't so do I'm it. in a restaurant, right? I'm in a restaurant, and the people who I was with, these are the people that I used to hang out with before, who were still in the game, who were still doing fraud. Um, they basically used a credit card to pay, pay. for a dinner party. The dinner party was like $9,000. They had bottles. They had a bunch of stuff, right? $9,000 for this dinner party. And um, what they did, now, I booked the I booked the reservation, right, under my name, my phone number. I, didn't, I thought everybody was going to pay. I didn't think we were going to, like, use a credit card for that. So I booked everything. And basically, they, and they had a fight in the restaurant. So they like kind of messed up the restaurant. The police got involved. They called me. They came to my house and arrested me. And that's it. Now, I'm not going to be like, it wasn't me that used the card. It was him. And then on top of that, I got a case of, not a case. I had a prior, you know, arrest for the same exact thing. It was like, okay, this was her. So I just basically had to go in for a violation. I went in for a violation because I was on federal probation for the last case. So they basically violated me. They gave me 16 months in the um, state. They ran a concurrent, and I just had to do the two and a half years in the feds. And I would, they terminated my probation after. So when you wow. came home, you said, I ain't doing this, though. This so while me. I was inside, I was like, you know what? This is, I can't live my life like this. Like, I don't, where, where am I going to be five years from now? Like, when I go home, what am I going to do? Go back into doing credit card fraud and be back in jail? Like, this is just going to be, like, consistent. This is going to be my life. I cannot live like this. Like, this is not me. Like, I see so much more for myself, you mm. know? And I had to sit there, you know, I prayed about it. I meditated. And I just asked, like, just give me a way, you know, put good people in my life. You know, associating me with people that could help me because I was young and I didn't have that guidance. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have somebody that could, you know, help me get to the next level or tell me not to do this. This is the wrong way. You should do it that way. I didn't have that. So going to prison, I met some really, really great women, you know, who saw more in me than I even seen in myself, Mm. you know, just from conversations, just from you being with this person every single day, you know, like, um, Aisha Hall, you know, Jamila T Mm. Davis, like me being around them, they basically helped me. They like, listen, I see so much more in you. Like, 
this is not your life. You know, I wanted to write a book. Aisha pushed me. She was like, write it, write it every day. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna write it. She was like, listen, just write down some notes, give me a bunch of pages and I'm gonna help you write it. So that was like the start of it, Mm. you know? And I basically wrote out a five-year plan. I said, I'm not going home until this plan is completed and I'm gonna follow it. And whoever comes in between, whoever comes in between that plan, like they just gotta go. They gotta go. I gotta dismiss them from my life. And I was stern about that decision. I said, I'm gonna just let go everybody who was in my life prior, who's still doing the same thing. No shade. I fuck with y'all, but from a distance, you know what I mean? Because I, I have to change my life. It's no other way. And the association with people, that's the first thing that will get you wrapped back up. You know, so I just had to disconnect myself. So when I came home, I basically just was around my prison sisters. You know, mm-hmm. people who've gone through the same thing, people who don't want to go through that, go back to go prison. Back. You right. know, the people who right. haven't experienced prison, they don't have anything to, they, they just living at that moment. They haven't gone to prison, so they don't know what it's like. You know, so I'm like, I have to be with people and surround myself with positive people and people who've gone through the same things that I went through because they don't want to go back down that road. Mm. You know, and wow. that's what I did. I didn't let nothing come in between that. No so money. Did, I don't care if I had to live in a shoebox. Like you was gonna stay on the right track. Mm-hmm. So how did credit repair? I mean, obviously it's natural for you to go from because you understand um mm-hmm. you know, the issues, but how did credit repair become the transition? And then also have you, when you went to court the first time, did you ever have to face any of the individuals that you had frauded? No. Okay. It was so many, but no. I'm so happy I have it. <laughs> right. Because, well, you know, know, after knowing what ha- this is, this is an issue that happened to me when I was in prison. I called home to my grandmother and she was about 70 at this time now she's like baby I'm you know I'm I'm so sad someone used my credit card and I've Mm -hmm. been fighting with the bank for the past six months and right now I have no money you know I don't have anything you know they took uh seventeen thousand dollars from me and you know I don't have no money the bank is giving me a hard time returning the the money I'm like yo so that hit home I was like, oh my God, like they're real people, real people. Yeah. 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 Yeah, These are real people. Like, I don't know what the issue was, what what the circumstances were in their life. I could have just, you know, messed something up. Like, and then that was basically when she spoke to me and told me that I was like, wow, this came at the right time. This actually came during the time I said, I need to do this five-year plan because this is what I'm gonna follow. And I got that, I, I called home and that's the con- that was the conversation. Like that was confirmation for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, wow, I can't come back here. Mm-hmm. So you got into credit repair. Yes. So when I came home, the transition wasn't easy. You know, it was, it was hard, um, especially coming from having so much, you know, at so young and then you coming home and you have to like rely on people um, even though I had my daughter's father, he was there for me um, tremendously, but I'm very independent. You know right. what I mean? And I like to do things on my own. I like to help. I'm the, I'm the giver. Like I like to give people, you know, people around me and, 
you know, so coming home, I was like, the first thing I need to do is fix my credit. I learned about credit while I was in prison. I didn't know anything about credit. You know, I learned how important credit was. I got a bunch of credit for dummy books. But at that time, it wasn't for me to fix people's credit. It was for me to work on my credit because I said, what I'll do is, you know, work on my credit and use that to start my hair company or use that to start whatever company it is that I want to do. So when I came home, I did that, worked on my credit, got a bunch of credit cards. And how we started doing credit repair was um, I came home about, I want to say a year before Aisha. And when she came home, one day she was, um, she had a bunch of Western Union papers, like sheets to send out money. Mind you, she just came home. She didn't have no money. So I'm like, Aisha, what are you doing? She's like, I mean, I don't have money, but I'm just sending the girls $30 each because I promised that to them. I'm like, I know, but you don't have it. Like you got to get yourself together first and then you could give, you know, cause you're taking from yourself. And she's like, I know, but I promised them. I'm like, so listen, you taught me how to fix. She taught me how to fix my credit. Actually, when I came home, I'm like, you taught me how to fix my credit. Why don't we teach, uh, fix the girl's credit that's coming home? Cause these girls are about to come home. It was like six of them. They about to come home. I said, why don't we fix their credit to give them something for when they come home? Because it was extremely hard for me to come home to, um, you know, adapt back into society, not having the things that I used to have. But my credit is really what helped me because I got that first credit card for 10,000. I was able to use that and flip it. You know what I mean? Maybe they could do the same thing. So this $30 is cool for now, but let's give them something that's longevity. You know, so we fixed their credit with six of them. We fixed their credit. We sent them their credit report. They were so happy. One of the girls actually came home, opened up a whole spa. Like she's doing really well. Other one do lashes. And the other one has a real estate company. So they thank us even to this day because we helped them while they were in prison. But I knew how hard it was for me coming home. So I wanted to do anything to help somebody because I, I wish I had that. You know what I mean? So, um, the girls told their husbands, told their sisters, brothers, cousins. So everybody just started calling us. This is before we even had a credit repair company. We didn't even think to do credit repair. Like we were just doing it to help them and to help ourselves. And people just was calling us to fix their credit. And we started like that. And it just became came crazy. Before we even posted it on Instagram, we were getting calls and we just used that as our money. We was like, okay, well, this is a full-fledged company. Like, let's do it, you know? I just want to say, I want to commend y'all, man. Shout out to Aisha. Shout out to Jamila. Just, just watching you. Y'all motivate me. You know, sometimes I go on Instagram or I see y'all shows. I be watching y'all and I and I understand your struggle. You know, when you're coming from prison, not having nothing. And to see y'all just come home with this energy. You know, just seeing y'all together, moving together, consistent, persistent, and just growing every day. I just want to say I commend you. Because a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people yeah. think you incarcerated you formerly incarcerated that your life is over you're not supposed to do nothing you're not gonna do nothing and you women defy that every day man. so just i just want to say thank you for doing thank what you. you're doing because it's motivational to more people than you actually even know thank you i appreciate that and it's like coming home from prison you know you you look at what other people have you know and you like you're so used to having that. And it's really, really hard to stay on track. You know, you got to be really strong minded. And I think that's what helped me because I was determined to do the right thing. I didn't want to look over my shoulders anymore. Like that life became like 
crazy. Like I'm driving and I'm looking back, like to make sure nobody's behind me or nobody's following me. Like, I don't want to live like that my whole life. You know, it gets like, when do you really say enough is enough? You know, like it's really hard, especially when you keep surrounding yourself around the same individuals. Like that was the first step for me. I had to let go. Like I still speak to people like from a distance. Don't hang out with them. Don't call them. But if I see them, hello. But I just had to let go. It was no other way. Or I would have been wrapped right back up in that same thing because they doing the same exact thing. You know, I want to join I want to join my son in saying that it's very inspirational to listen to your story. You know, all of us as, um, not all of us, but most of us who are Black folks that, uh, or people in general who live in the world know somebody who got caught up, right? But oftentimes we don't find people who were able to turn their lives around and be as progressive, as beautiful, you know, as inspirational as you are. And so I'm really happy to hear that a story that could have gone in a total different direction, it went in the right direction and that you are now an inspiration for others. So I just also want to give you your flowers and, you know, give and, and really just encourage you to stay on the right track, right? Like we it's, a, it's yes. a process for each one of us every day to talk to mm-hmm. ourselves to say, you know, don't go out and slap the lady who got on our nerves. You know, don't go out and, you know, and, and do something that could ruin our lives. And so mm-hmm. just that encouragement for you. Before you go, tell us what people need to be looking for. We just came out the holiday season And I know even with me, I have to force myself, you know, there was a point in my life where I didn't really have anything. So I knew if $2 was missing off the bat, because, you know, it was nothing in there. You have $14 and all of a sudden I'm trying to spend 13 and it says that it's declined. I'm like, yo, what happened? I know this is what I have. But now that, you know, I have more resources, I have to always check every line of my statement to see where my money is going and coming. And another thing that I found, um, I'm a, I'm a send things back person. So I order, cause I really like to shop in the store, but clearly they've taken all this good stuff out the stores and everything. Yeah. online. Uh-huh. So when you send things back, you have to monitor whether or not that money came back into your account from the yes because yes. it doesn't just show up. You have to actually know your money in order to That's find true. it out. So mm-hmm. these are things that as I'm getting older, I'm trying to actually pay attention to. So tell us what are things we need to be you know, looking for. So you definitely have to have, um, there's something you can put on each credit card. Basically, you know, when you call up your credit card company, you can tell them that you want to put alerts on. And with those alerts, what it does is like it, it basically, it knows how you use that card. And if it's something out of the ordinary, it will alert you or send you a text and say, hey, is this you using your card? Yes mm-hmm. or no. Like that's extremely important to have. Mm-hmm. Um, two, when you receive those emails that says that your uh, email address, your password has been compromised, change it immediately. Because a lot of times with the hackers, what they do is they'll take your information and they won't use it right then and there. They'll hold on to it. You know, they'll wait a couple of months down the line where you're not thinking about it. And then they'll, that's when they'll go in and use it. You know, um, check your credit report. You, you can get one free credit report a year. Check it. It's important. Credit Karma is free. You know, look at the increase. 
would you also pay? Like, would you suggest? Because, you know, we love free, but sometimes free is not going to be like the end all be all. And we should actually be paying at $19.99 or whatever yes. a month to get the credit report, like you pay your $14.99 for your mm -hmm. Netflix and all of those other things. Right. So I was, yeah, I was mm -hmm. definitely going to say that identity IQ is a really good one. You know, it's $27 or $25.99, but it's important because not only do they send you alerts, they monitor everything and they'll send you 25 emails a day telling you about your credit. Like, you know, this is out of the ordinary your email was compromised. Like it gives you all of the alerts and that you have to pay attention to because it's so easy right now for people to access your information. You think your password, and especially if you're someone who used one password for everything, mm. switch it up. Don't do that. Don't use the same password for every card or for your cell phone. Like, cause once they have that one, a hacker, they're going to check and see if, you know, the rest of your information is with that same password. And I know I'm guilty of that. You know, I'm guilty of using one password, but now that I know how they do it, I switch it up. You know, even if you add a money sign or a parenthesis, anything, just anything, just switch it up. That's important. So you have um, a credit company and you do credit repair. What is your company's name? How can we find you? We need everybody to reach out to you so we can get you some customers. So we can be credit Thank literate, so we can have our credit fixed. Yes. So my name on Instagram is Wanna Got Class at Wanna Got Class. The name of my company is called The Real Credit Pro. That's on Instagram. You can also go to therealcreditpro.com. You can also find me on shawanaking.com. Um, you know, you can hit me up. Anything that you need credit related, I got you. Um, we are extremely affordable five people, you know, and, um, 499 basically will remove all of the derogatory accounts of your credit. Anything that's negative of your credit, we'll get it all. Okay. Well, listen, hey, we you know, it's all about the second chance. Yes, we got you, <laughs> you mess up your credit, you can fix it, you know, and you have a second chance. Like I, I just, I'm a strong believer in second chances. Yeah, we need, yeah. you know, that was one of the things when I came home, I didn't even understand credit. I didn't know none of that. And I got somebody that got me in tune with it and realized how you can't even live without credit right now. You know, it's pretty much you can't do nothing. So this, this is definitely a service that's needed, especially for returning citizens, you know, that mm -hmm. coming back, trying to be productive and evolve. And so thank you for your work. Thank you for your evolution. Continue yeah. to be great. Looking Thank great, so Queen. Thank you. Shout out to Aisha, Jamil, all of y'all, man. Just keep being dope, man. Right. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we got, we'll have you back again. Thank you yeah. so much. Yes. Thank right. you, Tamika. Thank you, my son. Happy Thank New Year to you. You too. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Really, really important information, and to hear it wrapped in a real story like she's trying, you know, because sometimes we as black folks we'd be like, Oh, I nobody got time for that, I don't have no money. But she's trying to tell you that you can actually the credit you don't think you can get, she could have been able to increase the limit, get more money on your card use it in a way that you don't even know how because these people are actual professionals there's somebody sitting in another country working on increasing your limit right now making sure like somebody tried to call me the other day they were actually trying to get into my Verizon account and having Verizon send me the alert that if I would have clicked it it would have allowed them to get in they probably would have ordered cell phones worked out a deal all kinds of things that they know how to do. And so we have to actually pay attention. I Right now, the thing that, dry, that I just don't understand is why if somebody sends you a DM on Cash App and tells you to send me $500, $1,000, and you know the person has your telephone number, why do people do that? Because sometimes you just be comfortable. Somebody got me for like $50 one time because it was somebody that I don't normally talk to that I might just see on Instagram a lot, that's cool with me. And was like, hey, I need a favor. Can you lend me $50? Now, $50, you're not even thinking about it. You're like, okay, if they send you a DM for 50, but if you ask me for $500 and you got my phone number and you DMing me, then that's a real issue for me. So I think for me, $50 was like, all right, cool. And I wasn't even thinking about it. And then by the time I figured out, I thought about it, I'm like, yo, did you just send me this? And he's like, nope, my thing was hacked. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a quick scheme. They got Not so even teams. $50 am I sending you. Not even 50 not even $5 will I send to somebody that sends me a DM. You have to ask me for my phone number, and then we will speak on the telephone, and you can tell me what your problem is. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I mean, it. listen, I, I, I learned the hard way. I agree with you. For now on, not even $5. You got Everything that Shawana was talking about is so important because it was really technical in terms of what to look for, in terms of how people get in track, right, and how they get caught up in the system. 
you know, she's done prison time for this. So she's really, truly an expert that people need to be listening to. But the fact that she took that experience and turned it into something that's positive for our communities is really important because she's got a lot of give back that she needs to do to repair um, and, and just to, 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 to heal herself from the trauma that has been caused to others and the prison time. But now we're talking to someone who is sort of on the other side of the conversation, um, a financial expert. She is an author of two books, Financial Fornication and The Four Financial Languages. They call her Madam Money. Thank you so much for being with us, Tara Jackson. Madam Money. That's a, now that's a name, Queen. I, I appreciate that name, man. Thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. So give us give us some insight on what exactly you do. How did you start on this road to being mad at money? You know, how long you've been doing this for 20 plus years? Like, how did this start? Yeah, I, I've been in the financial services game for over 20 years, which completely lies about my age. Yeah, I'm only 16 for the right. 11th time, whatever, <laughs> or the 20, 2011th time. Um, but I started off in the credit card industry. I was a telemarketer uh, mm -hmm. and I sold credit cards very well with 18% and $40 annual, um, annual fees. And I was the queen of selling credit cards over the phone. Um, but I decided to stay in the game because being a telemarketer helped me to get the extra money while I was in college. And then I started learning the business, started learning credit. And then I started, you know, got job as a loan officer and I just matriculated in the financial services industry. I really, it wasn't my, you know, lifelong dream to be in the financial services industry. I just ended there because I wanted the money. Um, and it was a legal way for me to do it and to learn the game. Because what I realized with the financial services industry is that banks are playing chess, but consumers are playing checkers. That's why a lot of consumers getting played because they just don't understand the game of it. So I wanted to learn the game. And uh, I, I matriculated up to, I was a VP of lending of a credit union in, in Delaware, ended up being the vice president um, of a credit union and then the interim president and CEO of a credit union in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, while I was there, I just realized that um, I wanted to start giving back to the community and I and teach them the game. So I wrote the book Financial Fornication. And the reason why I called it Financial Fornication is because people were okay about talking about sex, who they slept with, who they wanted to sleep with and all of that stuff, but nobody wanted to talk about their crappy credit and the fact that they didn't have any savings or they weren't investing. So I figured if sex can sell a cheeseburger with Hardee's, sex can sell financial literacy with Madam Money. And so that's how that became in Financial Fornication derived. And so I quit my job um, as a financial uh, uh, professional, and I turned into a financial advocate in promoting in financial education. And so um, that's where Madam Money gave, that's where I gave birth to Madam Money, I guess. Mm. So you, so you come from the mind frame that fraud and credit issues it doesn't just impact the one person. I, I think I, I read somewhere that you said it feels victimless when people are out like, you know, swiping cards and, 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 and harming um, others. But you're saying that you feel like it or you know that it impacts the entire community, that it hurts mm -hmm. all of us when our credit is not up to speed 
Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that people are concerned about wealth. They're starting to understand and they're starting to be an awareness around wealth and the wealth gap. You see people talking about it, but I'm not sure that folks have connected how credit is directly impacting our wealth issues or the the wealth gap. And then also for me, it's like, if my credit is messed up, what does that have to do with, you know, another neighbor of mine? Okay. Well, you know, it's back to, I teach a class um, called Young Money to college and high school students. And the first class is cream, credit rules, everything around me. And it teaches them about credit, what credit is and how it affects you. So it not only affects you getting stuff and, you know, buying things, but it can affect how, you know, if you can get a job, it affects how much you're going to pay for everything. It affects utilities, you know, if you're going to get a cell phone or how much you're going to pay for it. So the lower your credit score, the more you're going to pay. So it affects you in your macro um, economics as far as you and your family space. But the micro in the areas, you know, it's going to affect what kind of house you can live in, where you can live and all of that. So it affects your community space and where you are. And so, although I don't think credit is everything, credit is a very significant part of us uh, when it comes to wealth building, because credit is supposed to be a tool, right? It's supposed to be leverage. It's not supposed to be um, something that pulls you back or hinders you or keeping you. You're supposed to be able to use credit to be able to leverage, to purchase homes or to get investment properties or to do whatever, if you do it the right way. If you do it the wrong way and you do it in in the matter of fraud, eventually everything's going to be tracked to you because one thing that is tracked is credit, how you use it, where you use it, and all that, as we saw um, in, in the episode the young lady was in, is that it tracks everything. It also doesn't affect just you, but it affects everyone dealing in the financial institution that it affects. Because the more fraud the financial institution has to deal with, that means we're probably going to have to increase the fees to compensate for all the fraud or the losses that we have. So then that's going to affect you as far as how much you're paying for financial services, if you can get the financial services. Wow, that's that's a lot. Um, just, a lot. just listening to you, you can tell that you've really done a lot of homework. What, what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions that we you know, have about credit or money that black people reason why we spend it so fast. So we don't, a lot of us don't really accumulate it the way we should. What do you think is one of the biggest problems that contribute to that? Well, I, I wrote a book called The Four Financial Languages, right? So if you're familiar with love languages, I, I talk about the financial languages. And a lot of people don't really understand their dominant financial language. And because they don't understand the dominant financial language, it either controls them Um, subconsciously, or they don't learn what they need to know or understand to be able to build that wealth, right? So my dominant financial language is spending. I'm a spender. My pleasure principle is in the transaction. There is something organic and orgasmic about swiping or doing a transaction, right? But because I understand that I know how I need to be communicated about, how I communicate, and what I need to be able to advance myself financially. So um, for a spender, if you tell a spender to budget, when we hear budget, we hear diet, die, deprivation, I can't, and we ain't got time for that negativity in our life, right? And so what we do is we rebel. 
And so we know we need to save. We know we need to invest. But because it feels like people are trying to force us into doing that, we're going to rebel and we're going to spend. So if don't tell me not to spend my money because I'll spend my money, your money, and everybody else's money. What you need to teach me how to do is how to spend it on savings, how to spend it on investing, how to spend it on giving. And then savers, you know, if, you're, if you want to save as a spender, we save to spend later, okay? Mm -hmm. So when we can learn how to communicate about money, understand what my language is, so I'm not going to go hang out at a mall because especially a, a, like a Best Buy or something like that, because I'm a gadget queen, I'm not hanging out there because I know I'm going to buy things I don't need. So when you understand what, who you are, you can understand your limitations. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things is that we don't really understand and respect our financial language so that we can communicate better about money. Because when we have our communication, communication is not just talking. It's about thinking. It's about reacting and how we do that. When we respect it and understand it, then we can start making better decisions about money and wealth building and how to do that for ourselves. Wow, that's a lot. So, when you, so where do people, where does one start, right? Like, you know, okay, I'm 25 years old, I'm out of college, and now, you know, I've got my first job. Of course, I've got my student loans that need to be canceled, but, you know, we'll put that in a different show pocket. Right, that's a whole um, other show. Yeah, that's a different show, but, you know, I've got my student loans, but other than that, you know, I don't really have any real responsibilities yet. What do I do first? And how do we make it as painless as possible for people to one, understand and also for them to get started? Because to your point, if I've been waiting all my life for this job that I now have, I'm a paralegal or, you know, whatever, I'm, you know, a, a nurse's assistant. And now I have this nice check coming in, still living with my parents or, you know, making it happen. And then you tell me all my money needs to be going towards investments and saving. Well, what happens to the fun things that I want to do or the things that I was never able to afford? Exactly. And so I, I never tell anybody you need to take all your check and spend and, and invest it all and everything like that, because then you're going to feel deprived. And deprivation is the beginning of destruction, right? So when we feel deprived of eating because of diets, that is our, that's the beginning of our demise and destruction because now we're going to overeat because I'm feeling deprived. I can't have my Big Mac. You tell me I can't have my Big Mac anymore. And then I ended up eating everything else that's not, you know, not healthy. And so what I tell people to do all the time is you have to plan your spending, name your dollars, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you want to get out of your mama's and your daddy's house, well, you know, you're going to need a down payment or you're going to need something. So you're going to put money aside so you can spend it on that later to help you get there. Now, you know, start saving something sooner, definitely, um, before you start getting heavy debt. So we start getting heavy debt in our 30s, right? Because we're getting the homes and the nice cars and everything like that. In our 20s, we have minimal debt. We have student loans, but, you know, they might as well cancel them. Like you said, I'm very bitter about my student loans. But you know, start putting aside money as much as you can because you're going to need that cash later, whether you need it for a down payment, whether you want to buy a car or whatever. So most of the people we're talking to, they are spenders. And a lot of people become narcissistic spenders because they have never experienced this amount of money. So I've been broke or my parents tell me I can't do it. And then all of a sudden I get this nice job. And so now I'm making the money. So you can't tell me not to spend my money. I work hard for this. This is mine. 
So if they don't have a plan or name their dollars, what's going to happen is their dollars are going to dictate what they can and can't do. So if they give all their money out to the world, then the world's not going to leave them anything back. Now, how do you get started? Well, you get started, you can Google. Google's a girl. She knows everything. If you want to learn about how do I invest, how do I do this or whatever, it's going to lead you to different apps. It's going to lead you to money professionals like myself or financial advisors or whatever. There's a whole black and brown community of us that talk about financial literacy. And, you know, depending on what you want to talk about, my girl, Budget Nista, Finance. we have a whole slew of us out there. But a lot of people saying, well, I don't know where to go. Hell, you, you Google everything else. You can Google how to invest, how to build wealth. You can do that. Um, so that, that excuse, I, I, don't, I don't play with that excuse anymore. So I, I, I don't give sympathy to stupidity because if we wanna learn something, we will find a way to figure it out. We will Google it. We will ask the right person. Um, heck, the young lady, she was brilliant. She had a brilliant mind. She just used it in the wrong way, but she figured things out. When we want to figure something out, we'll figure it out. Yes. That's a that's an amen moment right there. We're gonna figure it out. Or we're not gonna figure it out. So based on being a financial, you know, expert, and, and you talked about how many, how many more experts, especially we have a lot of black um financial experts out there. Do you think that as a whole, we we're getting better with our finances, that we're doing more? Are you seeing, you know, more people moving in the right direction with this information? Are you seeing the growth or we're moving towards being more than just 2% of the wealth in America. Do you think that we're going to get past that eventually? I do believe that we're going to get past that, but that's something that we're going to have to start training ourselves to do and start teaching our children how to do so that we can become better at it, right? So we can't teach what we don't know. The great thing is it's now sexy. You know, we're making Black wealth sexy. Black wealth matters is sexy so people want to learn more about that and building legacy wealth and building wealth. So more people are going to that mantra, which is a good thing. Um, the scary thing is, is that it gives people an opportunity to do the wrong thing. So there's a lot of people building wealth with misinformation, mm -hmm. um, you know, even dealing with the IRS, you know, with, um, with the, you know, even some cryptocurrencies, not all cryptocurrencies are bad, but there are some organizations that teach the wrong information. And so a lot of us want this get rich quick thing that if you put in $5, you can give them, you give a million dollars. I can't remember what Susu um, type thing. So people have to be very careful with those type of things because they're working off of your ignorance. So mm. you have to- You got me. <laughs> so you, you have to be able to discern or to do some research, you know what I'm saying? Shop around. That's what I tell people all the time. If you like shopping, you shop around to find the best deal. Well, sometimes you have to shop around to make sure the information is correct. Make sure there's some legitimacy um, because there's a lot of people that are on social media that sound like they know what the hell they're talking about and they don't, but there's people buying into it. So the only person that's making money is the person that's giving out the misinformation. So you have to be very, very careful with, with those things. But wealth building is becoming sexy. And so we are seeing more people that are willing to talk about it, that want to learn more about it. But right now it's about how do we transfer that knowledge into uh, the people that are coming behind us, our children, because that is where we're gonna see the wealth, you know, that's building. It's that legacy. It's a garden that you never get to see, you know, shout out to uh, what Hamilton um, there. So I, I think that, Wealth building is the time now to get on board and to learn so that you can feel the remnants of it and you can pass it down 
to your children and children's children? I think that should be a course right now, like for kids. I think we should have like wealth classes, like, you know, credit and all these things. I think yeah. we don't need to pass. I think it actually should be in curriculum. I, I've been fighting for that for many years. What I do love about, and I, I keep shouting out, but Janisa, Tiffany Alish, you know, she's my sister. She's a really good friend of mine, but she, she fought to get financial literacy in New Jersey schools. And it, it's, it's statewide. You know, I'm fighting for it in Delaware because that's where I'm fun, from. And so it should be a requirement because I'm, I'm required to learn a second language, which I don't really have to speak, but I'm not required to learn how to balance an account or checkbook or learn credit. And I've found that when I do my Young Money series at high schools and universities, I went to Cornell University and did Young Money series. And it was surprising that they did not understand what credit was. These are college students. They didn't understand what credit was. They didn't understand their student loans. I have a session I call Save Me Sally May, where I teach them about student loans. They didn't understand how to negotiate um, their first salary. I do that as hire me as a class so I can teach them, teach them the art of salary negotiations. But that's something that has to be taught Mm -hmm. And right now it's an extracurricular activity or in colleges, it's in business classes. But what about those students that are not business um, majors? It needs to be something that's a fundamental requirement from if a person, you know, as soon as I give a child a dollar and they know what to do with it, that's when you need to teach them financial literacy. That's, that's um, that definitely needs to happen. And, and I feel like it should be a, um, area, I guess, a portfolio of the civil rights movement of something else that we all fight for to make sure that when we're talking about education, that we're actually fighting not just for financial literacy, but also there are other things that our young people need to be learning about life that is not included in the current curriculum. And my son and I often debate that it is probably why so many of our young people feel totally disconnected from the education that they're receiving because they don't feel like they're being taught. And, and by the way, unfortunately, there are young people who are living like real lives every day. Like, you know, they know what skills they need. They already know that when they go to school and they're learning, I don't know, you know, geometry or something, it's cool. But when I get home, I've got to help my parents cook. I need to pick my brother and sister up. I know I need a, a skill that I can use so I can work somewhere on the weekend. I don't know how to fill out an application. Like these are real things that's happening in my life. And you're telling me to draw one line from this side to that side of the paper. And not saying that that's not important, but 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 what is how is that going to help me with what's going on back in my neighborhood that I'm dealing with every day? So I mm -hmm. I, I think you're a hundred percent right that it should be required. And as you said, shout out to uh, Budget Nista uh, and the work that's being done in in um, Jersey, but in New York, Delaware, and all across the country, especially when you have mayors and governors who are actually listening. We should start a trend of fighting for that in those communities. Yeah, I mean, they stopped teaching really, they started really, stopped really teaching um, with the No Child Left Behind Act mm -hmm. when that first came out. Then they started teaching to test because they started holding teachers accountable for passing tests, for students passing tests. Mm -hmm. And that's where teaching no wow. longer became fun. It became a requirement to make sure students pass a test because, you know, they, there was home ec. You know, you at least learned how to cook and do certain things. And a lot of the schools are saying, yeah, well, now your parents have to teach you where well, the parents working two jobs 
Absolutely. And, you know, latchkey kid, no one's there to teach them. If the parents don't know how to do it, they're not going to teach the kid. Well, and no so one be, taught, no one and nobody taught them. No exactly. one taught the parents. Nobody's taught which the brings, parents. Which brings me to my last two questions before you go. They're quick questions, though. One, do, do wealthy white folks or just white people who are doing better than some of us, do they have people that like walk them through every step of this stuff? Like, how do they know so much better than us how to deal with credit and and to, um, you know, be more financially literate? That's one question. And then the second question is NFTs. I have two separate threads of text messages and just in my life in general. One side, everybody's excited. Everybody's for it. The other side, they're bashing it like crazy, sending articles every day saying it's terrible, it's no good. This went on during the, the Christmas holiday. And I thought everyone was on board that NFTs was good. And then I started getting these messages from this other thread where they're saying that it is a, it's a, it's a scam. So I just wanted to get your perspective on those two things. How are wealthy, wealthier and particularly white folks how do they learn what to do from a financial financial literacy perspective and then the NFT um, new phenomenon? Okay, so the first question, I'm gonna ask you this question rhetorically. Who built the system? Mm, right? That's right. Who built the financial right. system? Who built the credit system? And of course, if that person, if it, you know, if they are Caucasian or whatever, if they have been a part of the process generations, generations, generations ago of doing that, they've seen wealth in the past. They've seen how their parents, so they, ha they have a model that they're doing, right? Think about how we came to this country. Think about how we're doing wealth. And a fraction of us have built wealth, major, major wealth. But what they did was they paid attention probably to the white people that were building wealth and they modeled the behavior. Wow. So if we don't have something to model the behavior of, we can't teach it or mm. we can't model the behavior. Well, we are modeling the behavior, but we're probably modeling the behavior of poverty, right? Un unbeknownst to ourselves. You, we think that we're teaching about being rich and all that stuff, but are we modeling a wealth behavior, a wealth mindset, you know, law of attraction? Do we really understand it? Or do we believe it? you know, do, do, are we teaching it? So there is a, a model of that. Most of the people that are wealthy, they believe in the law of attraction. They believe in the understanding of, uh, uh, that what you think your thoughts become things. They, they go to people or they look at people who are making the money, seeing what they're doing and they model the behavior or they ask for mentorship or they do certain things. A lot of us, we just think that we, we, because we were slaves, because we did this, y'all supposed to help us out. And it just doesn't work that way. If we want to take over and become a model of wealth to our families, we have to take control and say, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to do this. Um, and not wait for someone to, to give me penance or someone to say, okay, we're going to give you a million dollars. Because I promise you, if someone says, you know what, reparations, we're going to give every Black person $100,000, I bet you 90% of that $100,000 are going to be spent in white communities or in white stores, right? It's not even going to stay in our community. We're having a hard time trying to convince people to buy Black. So um, I, I think that it's something that was modeled because they built the system, 
And those that want to grow up with a wealth mindset and give legacy, they are modeling, they're learning, they're researching that behavior and replicating those services. Now, as far as NFTs, I'm not an NFT expert, nor do I play one on TV. I've seen the same thing as you, where they say NFTs are the next um, best thing. And then I've seen on there, it's a fraud, just like cryptocurrency. So it's reminding me of the cryptocurrency when it started coming out, when they say, if you get in now, you're going to make millions of dollars. And the other side is it's a hoax, it, you know, or whatever. But as much as people want to say about cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency is still here. You know what I'm saying? It started out at $10,000. Now it's at 50000 right? Um, where it's going to go, I don't know. But there's countries that are investing in cryptocurrency. There are financial institutions that are considering cryptocurrency. NFT, I, I, I don't know enough. I'm still researching it to figure out what it is, how it's going to benefit. My whole thing is, how can I leverage that into spending money? Because they said I made a million dollars on NFT, but is it really hard cash money? So that's why I say before you jump into a whole bunch of things, you got to do your research and make sure you're not buying into misinformation. And if NFT is your thing and you, you've done your research, go with God, make the millions of dollars. Um, but don't just jump on it because it's the next best thing because that can you know make you go broke too. That's definitely true. But I want to say thank you. You've given us so much information today. You know, a lot, a lot of what you said about just schooling, especially what you said about who created the system. You know, a lot of us, we didn't have access to that system. And a lot of, you know, us don't even know. But when we do learn, we're able to capitalize faster. So, you know, that's what the, our motto, I try to do that. I try to get information and bring it back, you know, piece by piece. The whole NFT thing is still new. We're still researching. But there's so many different things. I'm just glad to see that Black people are taking the initiative to figure out, listen, we've been, we haven't had any part of this world for so many. Like, what do we need to do? You know, I'm glad that that is a constant question. Everywhere I look, there are different people who are educating themselves about wealth, about generational wealth, about, you know, education, about how do we continue to grow and evolve and get a piece of this pie. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for the information that yeah. you brought us today. Continue to be great, Queen. You know, tell everybody where they can follow you, how they can get some of this wealth of knowledge that you have. And, you know, we need you to continue to just keep educating because I'm going to follow you. I need to get some of this matter money that you got. You know, That's I need right. to get some. Awesome. You can definitely go to my website, madamoney.com, or you can follow me on social media, Ms. Madam Money, M-S-M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y. Um, connect with me, follow me. I'd love to give you some virtual love um, out there. Uh, so thanks for having me too. I'm following you right now, Miss Madam Money. That's M S Madam Money. And I'm yeah, going that's M A D A M M O N E Y. Some people like to put an E in there, but that's M A D A M M O N E Y. Miss Madam going, Money. I'm going to follow you right now. Thank you again for being with us today. Thank, Thank you, you, Queen. Thank you. Oh, man. Shout out to Tara Jackson. Dope, dope individual information. You know, we need people like that, man. It's, it's good that we have so many people now, especially in, the, in our black and brown people who are getting so financially literate. Like before, when I was young, it wasn't really a thing. We used to talk about how we're going to get money. We wanted to buy all the things. Now you have people like Tara who is telling you how to keep money, how to make money, how to invest money, how to, you know, how to build credit, how to, what credit is, you know, how to utilize things. So, you know, our kids are going to be better than us, man. So shout out to Tara for that information. Yeah, these kids are working like 
crypto and they they they're literally they know how to do online trading like i I'm, I'm online and sometimes i sit up late at night and i go into like the dark web which is not really dark but like this this hole if you will of just young people who are out here learning how to invest they're making money off of crypto technology and whatnot, because they're already so much further ahead. And I guess we were further ahead than our parents on different things as well. You know, so that's a good thing. But the more that we instill it and the more that we talk about it, the more that we make it a part of our everyday lives in our households and our families, then our young people are going to become more, as you said, financially literate. They're going to become, you know, just better at um, uh, understanding the dollar. And I think a part of the, the thing for us is that we have been so very much so focused on understanding our voting rights that most of our young people, even if they don't vote, they know there's a time when people go to the polls and they cast their vote and they understand that system for the most part. Of course, there's many details to the political system that we don't know and we have to learn but we understand the fundamental basics. And that's because since the beginning of time, the con not of the beginning of time, of course, but since, um, you know, since we received our voting rights, this is something that has been a staple of the Black household to talk about voting for president, to talk about, you know, going to the polls, using your right to vote. People died for us to be able to vote. So now I think the same it applies to how we have to instill the same type of messaging in our young people and get them in the in the in the consciousness and the awareness of what it looks like to use your dollar and not just your dollar, but your credit for the greater good, not only of yourself, but of your entire community. She was making so many good points. She was talking about how kids aren't, you know, in certain, we talk about how kids in aren't thriving. Our kids aren't thriving in the school system. And I th thought about my son telling me the exact same thing, how, you know, it's, it's, it's test-based now. And it's not about you actually learning and things like that. And our, our kids just need to be challenged. And I think this new information and just wealth and all these things are things that challenges uh, challenges them and gives them more opportunities. But also brings me to my I don't get it. You know, um, being from the inner cities and coming from impoverished communities, understand how poverty is violence, and just looking at where we are. Like we, we're dealing with so many different things, especially when it comes to violence. In our communities, gun violence is at an all-time high. Like, I yeah. mean, it's just out of control. And I think for me, I don't get how violence, gun violence, and all this thing has been incentivized to our kids. You know, it's, it's such a new trend. I remember being 12 and 13, and the quote unquote OGs wanted to keep us away from that lifestyle. You know, whatever they was doing, they tried to make sure that we went to school. You know, they gave us money to keep us out of school. I mean, out of the streets, they gave us sports. They, you know, they threw basketball tournaments. They did so many different things. Whatever they were trying to do or whatever they were engaged in, they definitely wanted to keep us away. You know, and I just don't get now how these quote unquote OGs are not trying to give the kids the game but they're trying to run game on the kids. 
and they're giving the kids the guns and they're giving them, sending them out on these dummy missions and they're incentivizing them to throw their lives away. Like I, I literally watch on the internet every day where it's either bloggers or other people doing things to incite violence with kids. These are not grown people. These are 17, 16, some 13 year old kids. And I just don't get how as a grown man that you have, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't make you feel a moral responsibility to, to protect and shield these kids from that lifestyle instead of leading them to it. Well, I think it's just on the internet now. When I was growing up in the housing projects in, in Harlem, uh, called Manhattanville. We used to watch young people working for the drug dealers. Um, you know, we used to watch kids 10, 11, 12 years old carrying out violence for somebody who put them out there to go rob a woman or to go be the shooter. We saw it. I mean, there are young people or there are people who are grown men in prison today because they listened to somebody when they were young, tell them to go and do something crazy that ended up getting them 25 years, maybe even life. I don't think it's really new. I think that the same applies to everything that we're watching be glorified on TV. Because the one thing I can't, on, not on TV, but on your cell phone, maybe on TV as well. But the one thing I will say is that there wasn't a market for it, right? And there is a market now. So there, it's actually profitable. But it was always happening. It's just that there's a dollar amount, and it, as you said, an, in, an incentive that has been placed on the lives, the murder, the brutality, the trauma of um, young people, of Black people, of brown people, of poor people. And I think that's where we have to focus our attention on how do we make it where it is it is no longer profitable for people to kill and make money or to harm a woman and be able to get x amount of views online that makes them look like they're you know they're popping um so you know but but i don't i don't i don't think that the acts are different i don't i, I think, think well i mean just up. i think for me i don't mean to cut you off i think being in the street right being from the streets right i think there was a disdain for that i don't think that it wasn't happening. I, I, let me change that word. It's not that it wasn't happening. Those people weren't celebrated. The people who were doing that, that were preying on the children, they weren't celebrated. Like you weren't supposedly an OG and you had 11 year olds or 10 year olds working for you and the rest of the OGs was like, you was cool with them. That wasn't something that was happening. Like when, when, when I was a young dude and we was outside, they wasn't getting us at 11 and 12 years old. They just wasn't. They wasn't. It was OGs like, yo, you know, what are you doing, man? Take your ass. They was trying to keep you off the streets. I mean, that's I just think, for me. I think, you, were, I think you grew up in a different type of community with different issues, even in the same city. Because where I grew up, it was celebrated. There were older folks, older men in particular, who preyed on the women that they were sleeping with, or the women who were crackheads living in the building. I don't know if you're supposed to call them crackheads. It's probably a more a politically correct term and more respectable current term, but they were addicted to crack. Um, there were people like that, that folks preyed on and they used their children. They used their children. And, 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 it, and, it, was, and it wasn't, there was no outrage 
in our community other than the few parents of which my parents, my parents were a part of, but it wasn't like everybody in the community was like, hell no, this is not acceptable. Yeah. Well, I guess, like you said, maybe I was in a different part, but I know that most of the, the OGs and even the ones that was hustling around us, they didn't, they didn't allow you to prey on children and women. They just didn't. It just wasn't something that was okay. You know, now so you definitely, you definitely could not shoot in a park or while people was outside sitting on the bench. That was like, you know, you were exiled from the whole hood if, if you did that. That's a new thing where you just shooting and four-year-olds and five-year-olds are being hurt. We didn't have that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just, for me, I don't, I didn't know as many 13 and 14-year-old shooters that I know today. Like when I was young and we was 13, we was having fun. We was playing basketball, we was playing football. Right. You know what I'm saying? We was into different things. We had something else that we were doing. There was a couple, one or two that, you know, that was like heavily doing shit that we was like, what are you doing that for? But for the most part at 13 and 14, we still had some level of a childhood, right. you know? And I'm watching these 13 and 14 year olds now, they've literally stripped them of a childhood and, and moved them into adulthood and then adult facilities facing life, you know? So, you know, I, I, I'm still of the mind state that um, we got to protect our children, man. And I just, I, I, maybe it was happening. Maybe I was shielded. Maybe I, you know, I would, I was lucky to be around what I call real OGs that protected us. But I still don't get it. I still don't get how it is the new thing and how it's just pretty much just advocated for and promoted so highly. Well, on that note, one thing I can say that what they say, one thing that's for sure. And two things that's for certain is that you're going to work very hard on trying to end the culture that is unfortunately creeping into our communities. And, you know, I'm proud to see you really focus and sort of hone in on what your contribution will be um, to society. You know, we're all in the fight but each one of us has different areas that really move us. And for you, this, this culture, this violent culture, uh, of the culture of, of turning our young people into these freaking, I don't know what you call them. I mean, I, I don't even want to use the words to describe, but the, the pain and the trauma that's being caused is very demonic. Um, and I think the only way we can fix it is having individuals like yourself and a host of others coming together, constantly wrapping our arms around our young people. That's right. Boycott Black murder, man. We're not, we're not standing for the detriment of our babies no more. You're not praying on our kids. We're not calling you OGs. We're not respecting you. We're not doing anything if you're detrimental to our community. So with that said, we had another dope episode yeah. of Politicians. Our first episode back after the new year. 2022, we look forward to being the number one podcast in the world. We speak it into existence because words become things. And we want to say thank you for supporting us last year. We're going to do bigger and greater things this year. You got anything you want us to talk about, anything, make sure that you hit us on Street Politicians Pod on Instagram. DM us, send us information. If you have any products, you know, we definitely got to have a real business. So you have a real business. We, we showcase small businesses on this platform. So we just want to continue to grow, man. Thank you. We hope that this year is better than last year. 
And like we always say, I'm not going to always be right. Tamika's not going to always be wrong, but we both always, and I mean always be authentic. Peace. That's how we own it. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.